This morning, we're going to conclude uh, a short sermon series of transformation. And let's do just a, a real quick review. Remembering back to the first week of August, we were reminded of the rich vision of discipleship, of being one, and of making one. And then how this year we've been looking at being one by being transformed. And we're about to look at one at being one by living free. Living free. Now that, that sounds almost too good to be true. But one aspect, one aspect of living free concerns our finances. And would it surprise you, would it surprise you that 70% of the folks in this room live paycheck to paycheck? Or would you be surprised to hear that only a third of the people in this room could cover a $5,000 emergency with cash in the bank? That most of us, most of us would have to go out and borrow money or charge it to a credit card. Part of our role as elders is to equip the church, to equip the ridge, to equip all of us here, plus the other 250 members that aren't here this morning. So you probably have heard that the week of September 13th, we're launching church-wide a Dave Ramsey course called Financial Peace University. The elders want all of us, from our preschoolers all the way up, to go through this nine-week course. Our preschoolers and our elementary boys and girls are going to go through this course on Sunday morning. Our students will cover the material on Wednesday evening. Then for the adults, we're going to offer classes Sunday through Thursday nights and again on Saturday morning. And again, David already mentioned it, but there is a bulletin insert that contains all that information, including what the courses uh, each week is going to be about. Child care is going to be provided, so we will have child care here if you need that. The first week, September 13th through the 19th, we're going to teach Lesson 1. We're going to do that the entire week. And then the next week, we'll start Lesson 2 and do that all the way through the end. Each evening, we're going to start out right here in the worship center with a video lesson by Dave Ramsey. Then we're going to break up into small groups. And those are going to be led by our life group leaders and by other folks that will come in and join to help facilitate those courses, this course. There is a cost for this course. It's free for the preschoolers and the elementary children. The students are going to pay $10 for the course. And for uh, the families, it's going to be $93 for a membership kit for the family. Now, that kit includes the course workbook, Dave Ramsey's newest book, Complete Guide to Money, a cash envelope system, and a complete audio version of the course. So if you miss a lesson, you can listen to the audio version at your pleasure. Also, you can come in, at, if you're usually coming on Monday night, come in on Tuesday night and catch up if you need to do that. To sign up for this course, you go to our website. The easiest way, there'll be a banner that looks just like that handout. It's called Live Free. Click on it. It'll take you to where you select the day you want to take the course. From there... You click there, and it will take you to where you register, which will be on Dave Ramsey's site. You'll register, and that's where you also will uh, buy your membership kit. Now, the elders want to make sure that everybody here can take this course. And so if money is going to be an issue for this course, we know $93 is a lot of money. 
but uh, we think it's well worth your while. If you do need some assistance, come see me because we'll make some type of arrangement. We'll make sure that money is not an issue because we want everyone here to be blessed with this course. Now, I've had some people already ask me, do I have to share my financial information? And the quick answer of that is no. You do not have to share your financial information. When we facilitate these courses, there is work to be done on finances. We're going to ask you, did you do your homework? All you have to do is say yes or no. If you did, said no, we're going to ask you if we could help you with that. If you need help with your budgeting, we're going to have a team of budget experts that you'll get to go with, sit down with, and they'll help you with your budget. But you have to ask for that assistance. At the beginning and at the end of the course, we are going to ask you to turn in an anonymous card that has your total debt, your total savings, and the total number of credit cards that you have. Dave Ramsey's team uses this statistics to do an analysis of how well this course is working. Now, the elders and staff, we've already completed this course last March. It's a nine-week course, and during that nine weeks, 11 families, we paid off $9,000 in debt, and saved $17,000 in just nine weeks by putting these godly principles to work. So it is something that we really strongly urge you to take part of. I think you will find a tremendous blessing. Dave says that it will change your family tree. Well, let's go back to that first week. What did also did we look at? We looked at Judas, and we saw what false transformation was about. How Judas trusted in things instead of Jesus. Yes, he had a relationship with Christ, but it was only a surface level. There was no real depth. His thoughts were self-centered, and there was no real commitment to Christ. That first week, we posted three questions, three deep, three thought-provoking questions. And the first question was, Lord, is it I Lord, have I betrayed you like Judas? And if that wasn't hard enough, we asked, have I sold Jesus? Have you sold Jesus because you put other priorities in front of him? Or have you sold Jesus by the way you've treated others, your actions, whether they be at home or at work or for me, even while shopping? And, will be, and are you here... And asking the question, what's in it for me? Are you here at church today looking and thinking only about your wants, your desires? How can this church meet my needs instead of how can I meet the needs of the church? As I said, these were three hard questions, three very tough questions. And you know, at the end, at the end, Judas got everything he wanted. He ended up hanging himself after that. He had his priorities, and they did not include putting Jesus first. How we pray that none of us here fall into that same trap. May we not sell out Jesus by putting our desires, our wants, above those of Christ. And then last week, last week we saw what true transformation was. It began with Peter. Peter was full of pride, claiming that about his commitment to Christ. And then, just a, a short while later, this big, brave, fearless Peter was reduced to a frightened, scared 
penance of a man. Just by a little girl simply telling others that, hey, Peter was with Jesus. Which Peter quickly denied, even to the point of cursing. But as we heard last week, this was just a short stumble. Peter looked up and he saw Jesus. And Jesus was already looking at him. His denial was not of the heart, but of the tongue. Peter loved his Lord. And therefore, when he looked up, he was renewed. His mind was renewed. That look also called upon Peter's heart to repent of his weakness and to become transformed. Luke records that Jesus prayed for Peter. He says, I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. In my reading this past week, I found something most interesting for all of us. In the original Greek, that you, in this verse, was plural tense. It was plural tense. And for me, that translates that Jesus was praying for me and all of us too. So may each one of us here find great comfort in knowing that Jesus has prayed for us. That we might find strength in his prayers to help us as we work out our transformation. And now today, today we look what happens when people are transformed. It would appear from our text that transformed people are added to the church, sometimes in mass, but not always. The Spirit of God was still with them, but their increase was more gradual. Scripture says, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. It seems to have been the custom in the earliest times for persons who have accepted Christ as Savior and Lord to join with the local church as they started their transformation. We must, we must remember the gospel that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And we can't get, neglect the Great Commission that says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. This, this is what the Bible said. These are the very words of Jesus. And we urge you to believe it and affirm your belief and be added to the church as part of your transformation. And it's quite clear too that the believers in those days did not try to go to heaven alone. However, lately, there's been a, a great deal said about simply being a Christian and, and not joining any particular church. The people mentioned in this morning's text immediately joined the church. Consider, what if what if it really is okay not to, to join a church of fellow believers? Then it also must be okay for everyone else not to join a church. And if that was the case, there would be no visible church at all. There would be no church on earth. There would be no group coming together to share the gospel and to teach the Christian commandments. There would be no gatherings to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And there would be no church to send out missionaries. 
So then, according to the scripture, it is our duty to join with other Christians. If you love Jesus, love his followers and unite with his local church. Find people who are nearest to the scripture, who hold the truth in doctrine, who hold the truth in practice. Those that are most like this Acts 2 church and join them. You will be blessed for it. Some churches, some churches, if they have one edition in 12 months, you know, they make so much noise over it. It was like a, a hen laying an egg. But do you, think, do you think this early church would have been so content with so small of an edition? But how about our church? How about the ridge? We average a, a couple editions every month. Isn't, isn't that enough? And it might be enough for some people, but when our hearts are warm and full of the love of Christ, then shouldn't we? Shouldn't we want to praise him from sunup to sundown? Shouldn't we want to long for people being saved and joining the church daily? And you might be thinking, well, you know, we don't preach daily. How can people be saved daily? And that, that's a, that's a good question. Maybe, maybe we should be preaching daily. And if, not, and if not daily from this stage, we should be preaching with our lives. If every member of the Ridge were daily teaching and sharing Jesus Christ from house to house or office to office or school to school, then this daily planning would result in a daily harvest. And if we were daily praying with feelings and daily using every effort we could by the power of the Holy Spirit, and if daily the church lived in fellowship with Christ, we would soon be seeing people, people being saved and adding to this church daily. A church of transformed people will be known by their devotion. Luke 42 says, they were continually devoting themselves. But what is devotion? What is devotion? Webster defines devotion as the fact or state of being ardently dedicated and loyal. And Webster then defines ardently as having or showing very strong feelings and actions. So this, this first church was dedicated. They were loyal, shown by having strong feelings and actions toward something. The word devotion is a key part of our walk with the Lord. So my question for us this morning is, what does your devotion to God look like? What does your devotion to God look like? In life, we're devoted to lots of different things. Marriage, we're devoted to our spouse. That includes not having sex outside of marriage. That spouses and family needs come before our own. Our devotion to our children includes putting their wants and desires ahead of our own. We make sure that they have food, clothing, and shelter. We try to provide for them with better things than what we had growing up. And speaking of children... Let, remind, let me remind you that God, the great I am, is devoted to his children too. He loves, he, and he cares so much that his son Jesus left his heavenly throne to become human, to live among us and experience life. 
the good and the bad things of life. Then Jesus demonstrated his devotion by dying a horrible death, nailed to a cross that we who believe might have eternal life with the great I am. Now that, that is devotion. So back, back to my original question. What does your devotion look like? What does your devotion to God look like? The first church was devoted in four points. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They were a doctrinal church. They believed in being devoted to the unwavering truth. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. This is the word of God. This includes the Old Testament and the eyewitnesses' accounts of the apostles. The scriptures were vital to their gathering. Their devotion to the apostles' teaching showed in their willingness, their desire, and their longing to be taught the things of God. This first church was teachable. The people always wanted to learn more and more about God. They wanted to know him. They wanted to know more about Jesus. Their goal was not just knowledge, but to know Jesus intimately. This group desired to be nurtured by the word of God. As Peter wrote, they were like newborn babies longing for the milk of the word the word was their nourishment. They desired the word so they may know Christ more and to live more like Jesus. How? How do you live like Jesus? The word of God is what makes us more like Jesus. The first church was people who in hearing, listening, reading, studying, applying, and engaging with the scriptures had their life so radically changed that they lived like Jesus. They walked in holiness, and their godly witness spread, spread like wildfire. So what does your devotion to God's word look like? How often, how often do you read his word? If you're not in God's word daily, then today, right now, I'm asking I'm even pleading with you to become ardently dedicated to reading God's Word for just a few minutes a day. Our elders have made this very easy. Each day we have posted just a, a few verses of Scripture on our website. These verses should take you more, no more, no more than just two minutes to read. And if you need help understanding what you're reading, we've also provided you with another two minutes worth of commentary at the bottom of these posts. So our prayer is that we leave this place transformed by renewing ourselves to the daily reading of God's Word. Next, these early Christians were devoted in fellowship. They loved each other and they talked with one another about the things of God. They helped each other when there was a need. They were true brothers and sisters. They were family and their fellowship was not broken. And one of their richest, greatest desires is for you to have this type of fellowship with other believers as we grow, as we grow in our fellowship and our relationship with Jesus. 
the ridge has created life groups to provide us a place where we can continually challenge in our, be challenged in our pursuit of life change relationships with Christ. It is our desire that everyone at the ridge, everyone join a life group. And something, something good must be happening in life groups. 65% of our adults are involved in a life group. And as we start this Live Free initiative, this would be a great time to come and check out a group. There's just something that's really sweet about the fellowship of the saints that just far outweighs any other connection known to man. Next, this church, they were devoted in the breaking of bread, our communion, which also is an ordinance that should never be taken for granted or underestimated. As often as they could, they celebrated the death of Christ until he would come again. They delighted in partaking of these dear memorials of his love, both in the church and from house to house. Notice that they were breaking bread from house to house and they ate their food with gladness and the singleness of heart. They did not think that religion was meant for only Sunday. And for that matter, not only for buildings with steeples on top. Their houses were houses of God and their meals were so mixed and mingled with the Lord's Supper that even to this day, the most cautious student of the Bible cannot tell you when they stopped eating their common meal and when they began eating the Lord's Supper. They elevated their meals into a diet of worship. They were so concentrated, everything with prayer and praise that all around them was holiness to the Lord. Scripture is quite clear that we should not neglect our weekly gatherings. But truly, truly, every Christian household is a church. And one reason why the early church was such blessed was her members had such homes. And when the ridge becomes like them, when we too have added to the, we too will have added to the church those who are being saved daily. The Acts 2 church would pray together. And they would pray for one another. They were devoted to prayer. They were devoted to prayer. God will not bless any church which does not pray. And the ridge must, we must increase in prayer if we want to increase in his strength. Prayer is the lifebread of breath of any church in any small group. Without it, our gatherings are empty. The apostles modeled this as they gathered in Jerusalem before the day of Pentecost. They were all with one mind and were continually devoting themselves to prayer. Along with the women and the Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. This group was persistent and desperate in prayer as they waited. As they waited expectantly upon the Lord. Prayer, prayer must be our top priority. This Wednesday, this coming Wednesday night, is our monthly prayer gathering. We come together at 7 p.m. for one hour. 
one hour of prayer and worship. There will be child care for our preschoolers. The first, the first five months of, of this year and most of the, of the last two years, these monthly prayer gatherings, we've averaged eight to, to 12 people showing up. And it was a very, very sweet time for prayer. But last month, July, the middle of summer, we had over 70 folks gather for prayer. And if that wasn't enough, in June, the first month of vacation season, the first month of summer, over 100 folks showed up to pray. June's gathering was also, it was also on a rainy night. It was raining right before the service began. And you know how we are with rain. That was a great excuse not to be here. But a hundred folks showed up to lift our prayers to the God Most High. And you know, I am absolutely 100% positive that God was pleased. When we left this building at 8 o'clock, God put a rainbow right outside the front door of this building. And that rainbow wasn't here more than 15 minutes. In fact, if you stayed in the room too long, you missed it. God showed his blessings, his love for us that night. And this summer, God's hand has been on the ridge in so many ways, especially with our mission efforts, the things that have been going on with our mission work, and all the new people that have showed up here this summer. Our lead pastor, our teaching pastor, has been out all summer on sabbatical, and we've had numerous visitors come, and they've come again. God is blessing the ridge. So if we want to see, if we want to experience change, we must be, we must be a praying church. And this Wednesday is our chance. It's our chance to come together as a church. And we're going to have a, a time for you to be prayed for by an elder and a time to pray with an elder. There's going to be time for some public prayer. There's going to be a, a few songs. There's going to be a few scripture readings. And there's going to be time for silent prayer. Again, we're asking you to rededicate yourselves, re all of us to dedicate ourselves to daily prayer, to make an ardent effort to be here this Wednesday, to be here this Wednesday evening as we pray, as we praise the great I Am. In this Acts 2 church, and also in the entirety of Scripture, we see that fellowship of the church is defined by some different characteristics and two important ones. We read that this Acts 2 church was united, that they had all things in common. And they daily continued with one accord in the church. There was no cliques among them. There was no petty conflicts or divisions. They loved Jesus, they loved the Lord too well for that. Unity was essential part of their faith. And it was the center of their fellowship. That is why the apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread and prayer is so important. These elements keep our fellowship based on what is true and what is good. Did this group have different opinions? Did they have different preferences and Different likes? Of course they did. Of course they did. They, they had different backgrounds. This was a very diverse group. 
But their fellowship, their fellowship was kept united by the essentials of their faith. And when the church is united, it brings God glory and others are drawn to him. And the second characteristic of this church was their love. Beyond all things, Paul says, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Love is the thing that fastens us together. It is the element that controls our unity. And without love, there is no unity. We love, with love, unity is developed and it's formed. So may the ridge continue to grow in this area that we care so much about each other that we spur each other on, that we spur each other on in gentleness. And so that we will not stay the same, but that we will be transformed. This Acts 2 church was also a generous church as well as a united church. They were so generous that they threw in their property. They threw their property into a common reserve just in case any should have need. And I'm going to chase a quick rabbit. I want to clarify that they were so generous that they threw in their property into a common reserve just in case any should be in need. They were benevolent. Today, today we have governments hijacking this Christian principle. You have governments practicing, practicing communism, socialism. You even hear our own government using phrases like redistribution of the wealth. What we see in this early church is our example of a Christian walk. It is not a political persuasion. You see when governments get involved, they really mean all that is yours is mine. While this Acts 2 church practice, all that is mine is yours. And this, this is a very different thing. The one is forgetting and the other is forgiving. These believers acted in such a generous spirit one to another, it seemed as if nobody considered what he had belonging only to himself, but generously, generously gave it to the necessities of others. The Lord will never bless a stingy church. For God is a generous God. He gave his son and he loves to have generous people. They were also a joyful church. We find that they ate their food with gladness. Their religion was not some sober type thing which comes from doubts and fears. They were believers in the re risen redeemer. They believed in the blessed gospel. For they were a blessed people. They knew, they knew they would soon be persecuted, yet they still rejoiced so that, so much so that everybody could see heaven. They could see heaven shining on their faces. They were also a praising church, for it said they praised God and they had favor with all the people. So may the Lord, may the Lord make the ridge and all the churches around us as holy and as joyful as this Acts 2 church. Let's bow for prayer.